Hello and welcome to Team West Covina, a Crazy Ex-Girlfriend podcast. I'm your host Paisley and today is Sunday, September 8th, 2019. This is episode 15 of the podcast and we're discussing the episode, Josh and I Work on a Case, season one, episode 12. This episode aired on February 22nd, 2016. It was written by Rachel Bloom and Aline Brosh McKenna and directed by Stephen K. Shuchita. The Netflix synopsis says Paula concocts an elaborate plan to help Rebecca smooth things over with Josh. Daryl has an awkward conversation with white Josh at the gym. As always, there's a spoiler warning if you have not seen the whole series yet. Probably want to watch that first. There could be spoilers from any of the seasons in here. So we start out this episode with Paula's fantastic scheme. I remember the first time I watched this being really impressed with how many steps there were and all the different things she thought about. Regardless of uh, how you feel about it, you know, you can't help but be impressed. Uh, this scheme definitely had a lot of steps, but it did seem to get Rebecca and Josh talking again. And at the end of the last episode, I really did not know how that was going to happen. Of course, digging Josh's car would be too far in real life, but it's funny in the context of a TV show. I always see Crazy Ex-Girlfriend as kind of an exaggerated world where it doesn't necessarily one-to-one translate to the real world. I always see TV as being a little bit heightened, you know, so whatever Paula does in this world, she'd be doing some, you know, lesser equivalent in the real world. Running into somebody when you might not see them otherwise can definitely course correct, even if it's legitimately accidental. It's brilliant how Paula had Rebecca accidentally include the coupon in her cash when she's paying the mechanic so she could bring it up as a conversation topic with Josh. And then she has Rebecca offer it to Josh and Valencia so she could be all casual about it, knowing that Valencia works and won't be able to go. Paula gets Josh to ask Rebecca out himself, counting on him to be motivated by food. But Paula is also the one who picked Trent, and that had a lot of consequences. So we learn a little bit from Trent's Facebook page here. His name is Trent Maddock. He was born May 9th, so he's a Taurus. He is a computer technician in LA, and all his pics are solo. Nobody's in them with him. He has really boring status updates. You know, sometimes you get these fun little things that they throw in. Trent is just kind of boring. Even though, you know, we know kind of from other things, he can be a very interesting guy, but his status updates are all like, went out last night, had a great time, wish all my friends were there. And then he says, I miss back east, I like the four seasons, here in SoCal it's hard to tell what month it is sometimes. Hard day at work, people bring in the weirdest problems, we had a guy bring in a laptop with the weirdest virus, dot dot dot. Can tell nobody's really paying attention to him. And back at the car mechanic place, Josh mentions that Rebecca recites all the features of her new car like she's in a commercial, which is kind of an in-joke because she'd done that in an earlier episode due to the, the actual product placement of Hyundai. And I love how after she successfully completes this scheme with Josh, Rebecca comes flying into the office all happy, saying it was pretty easy. And meanwhile, Paula's surrounded by whiteboards and headsets and all the research and events she had to set in motion to make this happen. She's got a regular command center going on there. And Daryl comes in with a lot of questions about White Josh. And 
Rebecca tells him, I literally know nothing about White Josh, even though she spent hours listening to his life story on the party bus, totally in one ear and out the other. And yet, on the other hand, when Rebecca's at Jalapeno Jack's, the restaurant, it's, it's cute that she knows that Josh likes mango and that too much salt makes him bloat. You know, she wants everything to be perfect. But clearly, she, she knows all these little details about him. She pays a lot of attention. She remembers all these things. Rebecca just has a lot of trouble focusing on other people. You know, all of her focus is on Josh and even his friends. You know, she, she doesn't take the time to kind of glean that information and get to know them. And yet we clearly see she's capable of it. It's interesting, too, that we learned Valencia is not on the lease. Josh says she has bad credit because she took out a loan to sell diet supplements and turns out there were rat droppings. I love all these little backstory things that you might forget if you haven't rewatched in a while. It sounds like Valencia's always liked doing jobs that gave her a lot of independence, selling supplements, teaching yoga, and then eventually running her wedding planning business. I really can't imagine Valencia answering to a boss too much, you know, it just does not seem like her style. So after Rebecca and Josh get settled in at Jalapeno Jack's using that coupon, Bean shows up. We know that the party and the pilot took place at his house. And he says he didn't get the name Beans because he's Mexican, but because he organizes meat and trades for Beanie Babies. Another friend, Ken, is there, who I don't recall ever seeing again. And this whole group hang scenario, yeah, you know, I've been where Rebecca is, where so many people are crowded in at a restaurant table that you're too far from your person to talk or interact. I remember my Josh Chan and I showing up late to one of these things, and there were only two spots left far away from each other. It definitely can be frustrating, especially when you weren't expecting it and she was kind of anticipating this whole other evening. And then then she gets El Cheque, and it's $978.46. And the added gratuity is over $150, which is about 20%. Um, not only did Rebecca spend a lot of money and she didn't get to finish her time with Josh, but then she learns he called his friends for backup on purpose. Ouch, that's, that's really rough. Everything seemed like it should have been going so well, and by the end of the night, she's just you know, burned and humiliated. We learn it's actually Tim venting about a client at the office and how they have to spend an ungodly amount of time together that gives the girls the idea that Rebecca should represent Josh in a case. It's interesting that Mrs. Hernandez is actually helping with this too. She was in the command center with Paula plotting the original scheme, and she's also sitting with Rebecca and Paula at the office table in on the shenanigans. So far in first season, Mrs. Hernandez has been Paula's friend, and by extension, Rebecca's friend, even if she blows off the invite to Rebecca's party in an earlier episode. Later on, Mrs. Hernandez becomes more actively antagonistic to Rebecca, though, and this makes some kind of sense because Rebecca essentially steals Paula from her, however unintentionally. Paula and Rebecca become super tight at the office, and Mrs. Hernandez kind of gets pushed out. Plus, she doesn't approve of a lot of Rebecca's schemes as they continue to escalate. Here, though, she's playing along and, and seems to be trying to help. In the next scene with Daryl and White Josh, David Hull and Pete Gardner are so good at playing gay and bi, they're really believable. That kiss on the cheek in a previous episode had really surprised me. I, I didn't see it coming because they aren't the first people you'd put together right away. But as we saw it play out, I kind of saw why it worked. It might have been a little hard to believe at first, but people do have types or fall for the person themselves. We know 
that White Josh has kind of had a type like this for a while. And Vinny, who plays Josh Chan, in real life fell for a different type than himself and is super happy and in love with his husband and they're so cute online. But his husband's like into science and does a whole other thing. Like he doesn't seem to be in the entertainment industry at all. And But, you know, they're super happy. I know that not everyone would get comfortable with their sexuality that quickly, but we do see Daryl resisted a little at first, and we know that Daryl as a person gets really enthusiastic about things, so it makes sense that once he realizes how exciting this will be to explore, he wants to tell people, you know, he's always been an overshare. If it's on his mind, it usually comes out. So next we see Josh and Valencia having a meeting with Rebecca and Paula at Whitefeather, and Josh tells Valencia when she sees Rebecca's uh, desktop wallpaper, Trent, his name's Trent, and he went to Harvard. So Josh is on it, paying attention. You know, he, he knows what's up with Trent, and it's, it's on his mind. He remembers the little details. It's interesting that not only did they have to deal with Valencia, but they knew ahead of time that she couldn't be part of the case because she's not on the lease. Also interesting that Valencia immediately knows what's up and calls Rebecca out on it, but to a guy, Valencia looks like she's being paranoid because Josh doesn't have all the info that the viewers do. And I'm sorry, I'm still kind of on Rebecca's side here. I mean, Valencia cheated on Josh and chose Joseph, Father Bra, over him, but is still all territorial about this stuff. I kind of just feel like they were toxic for each other. At least at this point in the game, it, it just matters more to Rebecca. This is also where we get the line, don't underestimate the joy of a midnight bagel. This is a retort to Valencia after she says she couldn't throw Rebecca very far because she eats bagels after 8 p.m. And Rebecca says, don't underestimate the joy of a midnight bagel. And this is, of course, where Bagels After Midnight comes from. My friend Harrison's YouTube channel is referencing this line. At home base, Greg spells it out for Josh, too, because it's so frustrating for him, and he doesn't want Rebecca to end up with Chan. Greg even says, Trent, that's the perfect name for a fake boyfriend. It's so hypocritical, though. You know, Greg's teaming up with Valencia. That's pretty low. You know, he's even willing to do that, and he hates Valencia. At this point, you know, I feel like he's one of those, you know, quote-unquote nice guys who got rejected, and now he wants petty revenge. He also wants to keep Josh and Rebecca apart. Last episode, Greg realized he's always sloppy seconds, which he said to Rebecca made him angry at himself. But clearly he's actually angry and resentful at her, too. As far as Josh's part goes, he says he can take care of himself because he has a lot of black belts, and Greg's all like, she's not going to fight you. It's interesting how Josh thinks of that as his main strength or form of protection or defense because he's been told he's not smart and had experiences that seem to validate that over and over. Also, go back and watch Chris's pretext joke if you missed it the first time. Wow, the things they managed to get onto network television. The writers seem to be a huge fan of texting under tables, too, without looking, something I would find impossible to do. In the last episode, we saw Rebecca doing it, and that's why she accidentally sent that text to Josh, and now Chris is texting Greg under the table. At Cardio Mambo class, I love how Daryl figures out his sexuality as everybody says bye to him. That was brilliant. It's funny how they recycle names on the show. Daryl refers to a Tanya at the Cardio Mambo class, and later in the episode, we see somebody mention a different George as well. It's actually in the very next scene, 
back at the office when Rebecca says she's going to turn down the one million the landlord wanted to settle for, the window washer guy outside also reacts and it turns out his name is George. And then she shuts the blinds on him. So they had that name in mind for that type of character already, even though this isn't our George yet, but he's coming in very soon. It's troubling that Rebecca's willing to risk Josh not getting any money or winning the case in order to spend more time with him. However, she does eventually come to the realization that something more might be going on. It's just that wanting to spend time with Josh comes first, and the conclusion that something bigger might be going on only comes after. She's risking Josh getting a payout and performance at her own job as well. And yet we see Rebecca flying in to tell Paula that she and Josh are having the best time. She says something like, today we put popcorn in the microwave and he showed me how to put Parmesan and garlic flakes on it to make an Italian popcorn. It, it's just these little simple things and they're like the most fun ever. I get that. I mean, I've been living off table scraps for so much of my life that I definitely get that. But even if I weren't, I, I think I'll always appreciate the little things now after going through the nightmare years. You know, you go through something really, really difficult for a long enough period of time and then you just always see things differently. I mean, even if these things are love kernels, sometimes that's more than people were given at certain points and it it can help to appreciate the simple things as, lo as long as there's some kind of balance, I guess, as long as it it's more than just that. You know, when I was watching first season for the first time, I remember thinking, I want this because she wants this so much. I knew it wasn't going to work out and that there were red flags all over the place, but it's hard not to root for Rebecca because of her dream more than Josh himself. Her dream and the amount she desires this is better than most of the guys she could ever fall for. A lot of them can't truly live up to expectations. We see Rebecca and Daryl take off to investigate the water situation and in the next scene, Michael Hitchcock, executive producer and writer for the show, plays Bert, who of course becomes a reoccurring character later. And I love how Daryl's totally thinking about being bi the entire time they're checking out the water system. There is some great writing in that part. He's thinking about how the water goes both ways and all these different things. I thought it would be funny if the water scandal could be tied in with Raging Waters somehow. Once Rebecca takes off her rose-colored glasses, finds out Raging Waters is in cahoots with Greater City Water Conglomerate or something like that. And they can't really do that because it's a real place and it's not evil, but still, it would have been a fun tie-in. They do mention Raging Waters in the song Flooded with Justice in the next episode. And when Daryl finally kisses White Josh, we hear the same musical theme as when Rebecca is falling hard for Josh Chan. They're really good with the musical themes in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend as well, no surprise there. And that trend moment at the end is just priceless, especially the first time around. You really have no idea how she's going to get out of this. So it was a great cliffhanger. And then when Trent starts kissing her back and getting into it, you think, you know, hey, maybe he's fine with this if he gets to kiss a hot girl. But we had no idea yet that Trent himself was obsessed. Rebecca was really risking a lot kissing Trent, though. She had to be Gryffindor brave in order to pull that off. And honestly, she has no idea at that point why he's there, what he's been told, what he's told them. She doesn't know if he's just arrived or if he's been there a while. And she doesn't know if he'll view the kisses as an unwanted assault by a stranger he doesn't know. I mean, she she has no idea how he's going to react to this. They 
have not properly been introduced. And he could have felt violated or taken aback, but he happened to be into it. So she got very lucky with that one until it turned into very unlucky. And it, during the tag at the end of the episode, we see the West Covinian window washers chatting at home base. And one of them says there's a prostitute breaking up marriages all over town, which, of course, is the ongoing reference to some of the other tags in the episode. It's actually the butter ad guy, Gary, left his wife for a prostitute. And then Harry, who was one of the lawyers who sang Tex Emergency, did the same thing. So a little ongoing saga with the people of West Covina. So before we get into the next segments, just a few reminders that if you'd like to support the podcast, feel free to donate as little as $2 on Patreon under Team West Covina. There'll be links in the show notes. Covers the yearly hosting costs. Hosting the episodes for a year costs around $100. So to break even on that sort of thing would always be great. And if anyone's able to rate and review the podcast or leave a few stars, that would be a huge help towards growing the audience and helping it rank higher in search results. So in our whodunit segment, we take a look at how many times Rebecca's initiated plans to obtain Josh and how many times Paula's done it. And in this one, there are quite a few attempts. Paula, of course, concocts the elaborate plan to repair Rebecca's relationship with Josh and tells her to go to the auto body shop because Paula dinged Josh's car so we'd have to take it in. She has Rebecca give a quick apology, mention someone new she's seeing. And the next one is Rebecca, Paula, and Mrs. Hernandez all get the idea at the same time to make Josh a client, which will give Rebecca and Josh more time together. The third one is even when Josh says no at the door of his apartment when it comes to taking the case, Rebecca's like, no, we're doing this, and gets the whole apartment building on board. And even Paula kind of thought, you know, we're ready to give up at this point, but Rebecca was like, you know, really motivated to keep going. And then the fourth one is Rebecca wants to keep working with Josh and realizes there might be something bigger going on with the water, so she starts looking into the conspiracy in order to keep the case going. So in this episode, Rebecca instigated three times and Paula instigated two times. The one where they got the idea together, I'm just kind of counting for both of them. The total so far is Rebecca's instigated 17 times and Paula has instigated 10. So quite a lot from both of them. For our Ring of Fire segment, we look at the fire reference in every episode, which is, of course, always leading up to Rebecca's arson attempt that we find out later. And in this one, there's a few possibilities. Paula says, sorry, that rocket exploded on re-entry. So, fiery explosion. She's doing all the Apollo 13 references in this episode. And then she also mentions that they could burn Josh with scalding hot coffee and create a lawsuit around that. So a couple little fire references here. Our Suicide Watch segment takes a look at all the references that were made to suicide prior to Rebecca's infamous attempt during third season. Rebecca says right in the middle of group hang, I had a friend named Jeff once. He took bad mushrooms and jumped off the roof of our dorm. Of course, she thinks of suicide or is reminded of suicide when she's feeling desperate and sad, which, you know, she very much is in that situation. Nothing for our Booze Clues segment in this episode. We don't see Greg drinking at all. For the Nailed It segment, 
We see Rebecca wearing black nail polish the entire episode, whether she's planning in the office with Paula, carrying out Paula's plan, meeting with Joshua working on the case, researching the water conspiracy, all the way up to meeting Trent. She's wearing black nail polish, which is, of course, her, you know, scheming behind the scenes sort of color where she's implementing a plan and doing something a little bit underhanded or secretive. In our music notes segment, we take a look at the songs of the episode and what they're parodying or inspired by. Our first number is Group Hang, which is very obviously modeled after Shakira's Whenever, Wherever. Um, a lot of similarities. The music video looks almost identical in some ways. They Both Rebecca and Shakira are wearing similar outfits. Rebecca's got the long blonde wig to look like her. There's an obvious green screen in both. They both have desert scenes and horses, obviously. I'm so afraid of horses. And they both have kind of weird dancing, and they both grab their chests, and a general Latin sound to both pieces. So, And the other thing that they mention in the Crazy Ex-Girlfriend commentary is that some of the lyrics here were inspired by the restaurant Chili's because they're making fun of bastardized Mexican places. Then there's this little song in the middle, Romantic Moments, and I actually think this one is like the best. I, I you know, I really like this one, even though it's such a, a short moment. It's a McKenna Schlesinger, basically, and Aline describes it as artless lyrics. She kind of came up with the idea and the lyrics around it. And I, I really love this little song because it's it's so spot on and it captures something that's not often defined. There's always that question of these memories that you have of the person before you know if they like you back or, you know, are they thinking of it the way you're thinking of it? Actually, this happened with me and my Josh Chan where we kind of had this build up for six months and then we compared notes after we confessed feelings. And I had moments that maybe he hadn't thought of that way, but then like he had moments that I hadn't thought of that way or that I didn't even realize he was getting something out of. And some of sometimes we had the same ones, but it, it really isn't as clear cut as you would think. And we all cast people in, in different roles. You know, Rebecca sees Josh as her love interest, but she doesn't really know how Josh sees her yet. You know, we're all the villain in someone else's story, even if we don't mean to be. So the third song of the episode is Cold Showers, which is based off of You Got Trouble from Music Man. And Rachel Bloom in the commentary says that her dream role is Harold Hill from The Music Man. She was really influenced by that growing up. But she didn't want this song to be too soft, you know, because it's like an old-fashioned musical in a lot of ways. And so that's why she added in the line about crack. And this is another one where it's really fun to watch the parody and then watch the, the original version back to back because there's so many similarities, you know, these little tiny things that they're doing, um, both songs have the lead singer grabbing people off the street and trying to convince them of something. Both are taking a random idea and then getting the whole community on board. They're both using irrational logic, so taking a small thing and insisting it will lead to a big thing and making this giant leap like Rebecca's next thing you know your kids will be on crack. In the original it's you've got trouble with a capital T and that rhymes with P and that stands for pool. <laughs> Don't have anything to do with each other but you know, if you say it really convincingly, you know, you'll get the community on board. And the choreography parodied it. Uh, you know, Kat did a good job with that. She's got the crowd bending their knees and chanting while the lead singer gives a speech, which is what was done in the original. 
And in You Got Trouble, they're talking about pool as in the game of pool. And in Cold Showers, Rebecca ends in a literal pool. So all these nods to the original, if you know it. Uh, and it really goes to show how good Rebecca is at persuading people to do something, which aids her as a lawyer and kind of dismantles her love life. Also, when you're watching Cold Showers, the baby that the neighbor is carrying with the little pink thing over its head is totally fake. Watch its face and how it keeps holding the rubber duck and never moves. Like, there's so much to look at during that song that, you know, you're not necessarily looking at the baby, but it's definitely fake and you can definitely tell if you watch it. So the theme of this episode, what I noticed first was that both Daryl and Rebecca, who are similar characters to begin with, you know, they have some similarities that Rebecca doesn't always want to admit to, but both of them are trying to find ways to spend time with their crushes surreptitiously. We've got Daryl trying to get White Josh to be his trainer at the gym rather than just come out and say that he's interested, and Rebecca is trying to find any way to spend time with Josh that she can, and even creates a whole case around it. And both of both Daryl and Rebecca are touting the line that they officially don't like the crushing question. Daryl's insisting he likes women in a straight. Rebecca's insisting that she's with Trent and doesn't like Josh. So what the theme comes down to really here is, is they're, they're both denying the truth and their identity, essentially. Both Daryl and Rebecca feel like they have to deny who they are. Rebecca to be accepted by society, Daryl to be accepted by himself, as much as what others would think. He never thought of himself as bi before, and it kind of challenges his previously constructed identity. Denying who you are outwardly, externally, is just exhausting, too. You can't just go for what you want. You have to do it in more of a secretive, roundabout way, feeling things out because society isn't likely to accept it. And so Daryl and... And, and Rebecca, you know, they, they just kind of end up getting caught up in these things. And you can see Daryl as he goes through this process over the arc of the next few episodes. It's just such a relief to him when he is able to be out and free and not ashamed. And he can just go walking down the street with White Josh. And it's like, that's all he wanted, you know. So the poll results from last episode, we had a best food and drink metaphor question. And 20% said it was Greg being associated with clumpy cheese, and 80% said the proctor saving the cork was the best food metaphor. And we did have a few people answer the podcast question, which was, how do you think Paula and Scott first met and got together? Winnowing Wins on Reddit says, I always assumed Paula went to college for pre-law in California, as far away from Buffalo as possible, and met Scott there. I felt like she had a dropout of law school, but she's a paralegal, which suggests some law study, right? And then the other question was, if you'd accidentally sent a text like the one Rebecca wrote, how would you handle it? And Winnowing Win says, I might say that it was bring your child to work day, and my coworker's daughter thought it would be a funny joke. I'm so bad at lying. Yeah, it's just a challenging situation because there's always going to be a little suspicion there. And then Hello Cthulhu on Reddit says, in answer to the second one, honesty, just come clean. It might be awkward, but if the other person is the one, they'll ultimately understand. If they don't, then it's not the person you should be with in the first place. They can't love you if they don't see the real you, words and all. And, and what good is a relationship if you don't have visibility with the other person and they love some fake version of you? question you could be asking Rebecca throughout most of the episodes. So thanks guys for contributing to some of the questions here. 
My next podcast question for this episode is kind of inspired by group hang. Does your significant other or crush behave differently with their friends or in a group hang than they do with you? How so? And do you like hanging with them in that situation or not? So you can answer that question on any of the social media, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. And again, just a reminder to please rate and review to help other people find the podcast. Even just liking the YouTube video helps it rank higher in search results. So all of that, every little bit helps. And you can reach out to the podcast or start discussions on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter under Team West Covina. You can also email me at paisley.podcasts at gmail.com. And if you don't plan to join us for a Copian's Corner, where we discuss how we personally relate to the episode and to Crazy Ex-Girlfriend in general, thanks for listening. Okay, so welcome to a Copian's Corner. In this episode, I thought we would discuss a little bit about Trent. I had someone who could be very mildly equated to Trent. He had plenty of good qualities, too. Um, Trent is a very extreme character, but he was somebody who was kind of exuberant and over the top and, you know, kind of when he liked somebody, he really liked somebody. and, And so this was actually back before Cheetah and I had even confessed. So this is quite a while ago. And... This guy who we're equating to Trent, I'll call him, since we're sticking with the animal code names, we'll call him Turtle after Trent's turtlenecks. And we were in a a spiritual group of sorts, and so that's how I met him originally. And while I was there, we actually kind of had a matchmaking situation and it kind of reminded me of when Rebecca came in and all of a sudden just got paired up with Trent, whether she liked it or not. And so the leader of our, our spiritual group had kind of seen us talking and thought that we would make a cute couple. So that's where this journal entry starts off. It wasn't long before Fawn came over and said, can I borrow you two for a moment? Fawn was kind of middle-aged, very motherly, warm, supportive leader of our, our spiritual group and a very lovely person, but she just read the room wrong a little bit because Turtle and I talked well together, but I wasn't quite looking for for what he was. So Turtle and I followed her out of the great room through the yellow tea room, down the hallway, and into the small kitchen, which is in the center of the house, surrounded by other rooms and doorways. As we entered the kitchen, Fawn put my hand and Turtle's hand on top of each other and said, I can't stand it, I just had to say, I think you guys would make a really cute couple. World falling down. We both blinked at her for a couple seconds. My face must have been ashen. But after a moment, Turtle grinned bashfully and put an arm around me. I did not. Never, never in a million years did I expect someone to be this blatant. I don't know if you guys have boyfriends or girlfriends or anything, but I just think you guys are adorable. Fawn was swaying a little, beaming at us with delighted brown puppy dog eyes. I know she meant well, and I I know what she was seeing. Every time someone would interrupt Turtle and I to say something, they apologized profusely as if they'd burst in on a private moment. These last couple times, we'd talk to each other a lot because we had much in common. The three leaders of the spiritual group had left late and saw Turtle and me standing outside and chatting for ages after our first class. I understand where Fawn is coming from. She thought it would be simple. 
But that being said, it frightened me half to death and I frantically tried to think of what to say. At about that moment, Turtle's best friend and his girlfriend poked their heads into the kitchen. They immediately sensed the awkwardness and looked around at the three of us curiously. I think Fawn explained, and Turtle's best friend said to me, Yeah, Turtle's been talking my ear off about you for weeks. He laughed. Turtle started to say something to his BFF, and while those two were talking, I moved a couple steps away towards Fawn and said desperately, You know, I kind of thought we were just friends. So be friends. You could just be friends. Turtle overheard part of what she said and looked confused. Well, I'll let you guys talk. I'll leave you alone. Fawn backed off. And then... Shortly after that, Turtle called me at midnight and sang me happy birthday over the phone. My phone had been on silent because I'd actually been in the city with Cheetah and friends prior to us confessing feelings for each other, and I only got Turtle's voicemail after, but he sang me the whole song, happy birthday, and he didn't identify himself, <laughs> and I was just like, wow, this is really intense. So not long after this, I had to have a talk with Turtle about how I didn't see him as anything other than a friend. I'd gotten advice about it from Cheetah at this point, as mentioned in a previous Ecopian's Corner. So the next journal entry excerpt, I say, I was amazed at how chill Turtle was the entire evening. He accepted my honesty warmly and graciously without any anger, resentment, or even discernible sadness. Don't get me wrong, if you'd said yes, it would have made me so excited I'd be jumping off the balcony right now, Turtle laughed. That would have been a short relationship, I joked. I followed Cheetah's advice and gave Turtle an out. If for some reason it gets hard to be around me or you need some space, I totally understand. We could take some time apart if it would be easier on you, or only hang out together in groups for a while. No, no, Turtle scoffed, as if that were silly. I remember Cheetah saying, you should give him an out, but he won't take it. Turtle said that if I ever changed my mind to please let him know, but he was fine with trying to get over it and move on. He thinks he'll still feel that way towards me for a while, but eventually it will fade. I was astounded by his maturity. It didn't seem like a brave front. It came off as positively genuine and lasted throughout the night. So then, the next day. <laughs> this is me texting Cheetah. I was just about to thank you for turtle advice because our talk went way better than expected and he accepted it with surprising maturity. It wasn't even awkward and he said he liked the way I told him and that it was a relief just to know. We got Chinese food and watched a bunch of How I Met Your Mother. But then today he posted some crazy stuff on my Facebook wall. If it's someone I'm attracted to, I don't mind if they do something a little crazy, but this was just a bit much, lol. At least he knows where I stand. So then Cheetah texts me back right away and says, all I learned from these texts was that people you're attracted to are allowed to be crazy. Also, what did he post on your wall? I sent Cheetah the text of the meme. So here's what Turtle said on my wall. Paisley, you're the only person I know who could ever pull off this look. And if you do, it's going to be game over. Just saying. Smiley face. So underneath is a picture of a pretty feminine girl showing off long, wavy purple hair in a cool style. Okay, you probably shouldn't still be talking about romance, but I was willing to let it slide. Then there's a second post. And Turtle says, perfectly describes how I feel, where I stand. How to share this with you, exclamation point. And it's a meme graphic that says, it's beautiful when you find someone that is in love with your mind, someone that wants to undress your conscience and make love to your thoughts. Someone that wants to watch you slowly take down all the walls you've built up around your mind and let them inside. My first thought was, no, 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 no. That should not be how you feel. And if it is, you definitely shouldn't say it. Now you're just talking a metaphor. 
And Cheetah responds through text and goes, uh, spooky. And I said to him, my thoughts exactly. He actually is a nice person, I swear. I'm presenting an imbalanced picture. And Cheetah says, just don't let him undress your conscience. And I said, I'll try to keep my conscience tightly corseted. And then Cheetah texts, your thoughts dress like a Taiwanese whore and your conscience is asking for it. And then I proceeded to drop my phone at work. The other interesting thing is that after I went through an incredible soap opera situation with my original best friend Lotus after we broke up and she ended up in a far more extreme Rebecca Bunch situation that ultimately led to her literally moving to California for a buff married Asian guy who was far more manipulative than Josh, I desperately and quickly needed a housemate. So Turtle actually ended up becoming my housemate for a year. We were still friends and I was reticent about doing it because I knew he kind of still liked me but was genuinely out of options for a variety of reasons. Ironically, Turtle finally got a girlfriend maybe a month or two after moving in, lost his virginity, and stopped giving a shit about every single one of his other friends. He turned into an entirely different person, and his side was practically empty at the wedding because he ditched or burned bridges with so many people. I also found out that she kind of turned him into a druggie a little bit, and he had a couple secret druggie parties at my loft when I was on vacation, including one where they somehow managed to get locked out onto the balcony. Remember how he said he'd jump off the balcony if we got together? Ironically, he did have to jump off the balcony in order to run around to the front door of the loft and let everybody back in the house. So that's the story of my trends. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.